0: Good morning. I will have you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be reading 3 verses 3 to 23. Uh, And after we read, we will pray. It's my custom to do an introduction first. So, I didn't forget, I put the Bible right here so you'll know that I'm going to preach from the Bible. In my school, they have given me an office, something different since teachers don't usually get an office. Right across from my office, there's a mural. It is either complete or nearly complete. It is beautiful. It is a beautiful picture of a sunny day and it includes a rainbow. I am sure the artist had the final outcome in her mind from the very beginning. She had a group of students working with her to complete this project. When she started, and even up until last week, we had no idea what it would look like. The students who work with her, they work diligently. But I'm sure they didn't see the final project in their mind. I talked with her and asked some of the children questions. And even with all that knowledge, I could not envision the final product. I knew some of the students that worked with her. And I thought, boy, this is they're going to really mess this up. (laughs) But the artist had no doubt because she knew what needed to be done and how to get to that final picture. The students didn't see the final project in their minds and certainly didn't know all the steps to get there. She did, and that is why she is the artist and she was hired to do the job. Those children didn't know her ability. They doubted whether the picture would be worth the work. They couldn't imagine the final project and certainly didn't know she had done multiple murals around the Capitol District. If these children are called upon to work with her again, all those children have to do, all they would have to do is remember who the artist was and look at all the beautiful pictures she made in the past. And then, the next time they're called upon to help, they will have more trust in her. The children of Israel were like those students who helped paint that mural They followed God's leading, but had no clue of who God was and what would be their outcome. Remember, this was written to those who were coming out of Egypt. They needed to know the ability of the Creator and what He has done in the past so they can trust Him, that He had a plan and His plan was good. Moses wrote this creation account to encourage the newly freed Hebrews to trust in their Redeemer. As we look at the text this morning, we will discover that, one, God is the ultimate source of light. Two, God brings order to chaos. And three, God creates all things for his own purpose. And maybe our discovery will encourage us to trust God and trust God's plan and that it is good. Now, let us read in our scriptures this morning Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 to 23. This is God's word reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and the trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God said, God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it was good. There was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves With which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the sea, and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Let's pray. gracious Father, in the words of the psalmist, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight. our rock and our redeemer. Lord, give us wisdom, give us understanding, and give us a heart to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. The last time we were in Genesis, we spent the whole time on verses 1 and 2, really. I read it all, but we just kind of fleshed out 1 and 2, and we got to the point where we understood that God is the creator, and there was implications for us as his created ones. We won't go over that again, but remember that is the emphasis In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the rest is how he did it. The book of Genesis is the beginning of God's instruction and doctrine and what we must believe in all things. Oftentimes, because we see it as a historical book, of which it is, we think it's like reading a history book. Oh, this is entertaining. Oh, that's interesting. This person discovered that. Oh, that that happened. But... This Moses wrote for our instruction, really, for the children of Israel's instruction and then of our instruction. It is the book of truth, and that truth was needed for those Israelites who had just come out of Egypt. Egypt was full of myths about the origin of creation and the purpose of people. They needed God's truth to combat the lies of the Egyptians and the lies of the world and created things. were not just limited to the time of Exodus. We live in a similar world where lies abound. We need God's truth in Genesis, just as those newly freed Israelites did. So as we go through this series, continue to ask yourself, do I believe that Do I believe, as we talked about in the last sermon, do I believe that God is the creator? If the answer is no, then just know you are standing against God and you're holding hands, maybe taking your fingers and weaving them through the hands of the devil. You're on the devil's side if you reject what God has said for he is the father of lies. That is Satan, not God. The content of Genesis is what makes up a Christian worldview. If we're going to be salt and light, we must not only declare that Jesus is Lord, we must also believe and confess with our mouths the truth taught in the book of the beginnings. So let's look at the background of the text, right? There's always a background to a text. Because Moses wrote this to the children of Israel, and it's very simple to them. But sometimes we must gather the right information to help us understand what was Moses coming against. Obviously, you know, he wasn't just writing to be writing. He didn't say, hi, I got a nice writing style. Let me just keep writing. No, there's a purpose in what he wrote. The children of Israel were delivered out of the hand of Pharaoh in the Exodus. We know that. They were taken into the wilderness, and Moses wrote this account to wash their minds with the truth of God's word. The Israelites were going to enter into the land of Canaan, but they were leaving the only culture they knew. Ra was the Egyptian sun god. There's a professor at the University of Arizona named Richard H. Wilkinson. He is an archaeologist in the field of Egyptology. He says according well according to Wilkinson Ra is Egypt's most important deity. As we see from the plagues that Egypt sent that God sent to Egypt God was declaring himself lord of all. For instance Heket, I don't know, I think I'm pronouncing it right, Heket was the Egyptian goddess often depicted with the head of a frog. She was the goddess of fertility and childbirth, and all frogs and all frog deities were believed to have an important role in the formation and creation of the world. God proved that Heket and every frog had to obey the command of the only creator, and thus had no hand in creation. Remember, he called forth all the frogs from the Nile. If you're such a God, stay in the Nile. You can't. Like Lazarus, when God calls, you must come. Whether you're a man or a frog. He is the creator. He gets to determine who goes where and who does what. He not only flooded the lands with frogs, but he also killed the firstborn of Egypt. Does anybody remember that? Although Haket was the goddess of fertility and childbirth and believed to have creative powers, she was unable to stop God's command of all the frogs, and she could not protect the death of the firstborn of all Egypt. God proved he was lord over all, including an important Egyptian deity. That was one of the main reasons God sent the plague. He has proven to the Egyptians, but especially to the Israelites, that he is Lord of all. But the plagues were only a repeat of the opening chapters of Genesis. Yes, you heard. It was a repeat of the opening chapters of Genesis. They needed to know the creator of the universe so they could turn from the Egyptian gods and put their trust in the God revealed in scripture. Why don't you resolve, before we get started, that you will commit to walk in the light of God's self-revelation in Genesis. Tell your soul that when you come to the truth in Genesis that you have previously been ignorant of, or worse still, been actively rejecting, that you will repent and follow after Christ. This is a great thing to do. To determine in your mind that when I hear God's word and I hear God's truth, I will turn. It's easier than being confronted and arrested. Oh, oh, should I, should I, should I? No, you've determined before. As we learned from the last sermon, God created the heavens and the earth from nothing. It did not exist before God created it. He created it out of nothing. There was no pre existent land. I want that to settle in. Because I'm in the school system, I know what they teach. God has always existed, and then He created the beginning of the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, it was dark. Verse 3, then the Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. Ambrose of Milan, bishop in the in the early church, said God is the author of light. Ephraim, of course, I don't, maybe I'm not pronouncing it right. Ephraim, the Syrian, said light in its primordial form did not come from the sun, which had not yet been created. Did you read that or did you realize that when it said, let there be light, the sun wasn't created yet? It is probably something we assume quite often that without the sun we have no light. But the Bible begins and ends by describing an untainted world that is filled with light but no sun and shows God as the source of light. You read it here, right? Is that Genesis 1-3? Then God said, let there be light And there was light, Revelation 21, 22, and 23 says, where John says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it. Its lamp is the Lamb. L-A-M-B. L-A-M-B. The Lamb. Holy is the Lamb. He's not only the sacrifice, he's the light. No son there and no son right here. We see God the Father and God the Holy Spirit present in this creation account. And we know from the New Testament that Jesus the Son is present. For John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that, was, that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 1, through 1-4. And this is what the Apostle John said about Jesus. But Jesus had a claim of his own I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I can remember walking through the streets of Manhattan, chanting with all my might. Blank, blank, blank is the light of the world. Forever shall I hold it high. It would be days. It would be days in which we would chant this for hours. Though I was hungry, though we were tired and disoriented, but we would press on. Did you hear Jesus' words, I am the light of the world? Out of ignorance I said that, and I have since repented. But if you just realize that you have thought, said, or even chanted something that was contrary to Christ, you can repent now. And though some of you here may not know what I'm talking about, there's an audience. And I know there are millions of people who walk through college campuses chanting that very same thing you are standing in direct contrast with Christ if you say something else is the light of the world. Repent. Repent and come to Jesus for Christ is ready to embrace you with forgiveness. Just call upon the name of the Lord. And if you are tuning in and you know that, repent. And if you've chanted those words or said those words or thought those words, realize you're standing hand in hand with those Pharisees who told Jesus, your testimony is not true. Your back is turned from Christ and you are partnering with the prince of darkness. Please repent and follow Christ and he promises That you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. Maybe you are here and you've never trusted in the one who is the ultimate source of light. You can today. John said the true light came into the world and enlightens every man. He came to his own, but his own rejected him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Even to those who believe on his name. And why would you have to believe on his name? The Bible says in the book of Genesis that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they will surely die. Adam was the representative of all mankind. So whatever blessings Adam received, we received. But the converse is true as well. Whatever curses Adam received, we received. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Any righteousness we have is compared to filthy rags in the sight of God. So the righteousness that is acceptable to God has to be a foreign righteousness, something outside of ourselves, the righteousness that comes from Christ. This morning you can receive that righteousness and be made new from the inside out. For did not Jesus say, what you do on the outside does not make you pure? Does not make you clean, does not make you unclean, but what comes out of the heart is what defiles you. So the heart has to be changed. And who else can change it but that person who declared, let there be light. God is the ultimate source of light and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. Christ is able to save you because God the Father has appointed him heir of all things through him who also made the world. In verse 3, God said, let there be light and the light was eternal life that all mankind need today. Embrace Christ today and be a newly freed believer. Verse 2 says... The earth was formless and void, and the darkness was over the surface of the deep. What we see in verse 2 is a chaotic world. And God began to form and fill his creation. When we look at how Moses describes God's order in the earth, we conclude that, too, God brings order to chaos. This is our second point. God brings order to chaos. And this is not just random ordering. On day one, uh, this is probably where it would be nice if I had a chart, right, for those who are visual learners. But maybe you can, I don't know, my Bible, there's a blank paper right here. Maybe you can just draw a T-chart there. And you can put day one, God formed the light. But on day four, he filled the sky with certain elements. On day two, he formed the sky with the waters below. And on day five, he filled the earth with birds and seas with the fish. On day three, God formed the the land and put plants. And on day six, he filled the land with animals and mankind. That, my friends, is a well-designed pattern. That which was once chaotic is now ordered. Not like... Your grandmother's cooking recipe. Throw a little bit of this, put a little pinch of this, and then a little, a little bit of that. A dash of that. And it tastes different sometimes. Every time. It tastes different. It's good. But it's just a little bit different. You need a little bit more sugar here. You need a little bit more salt here. That's not what's happening here. No, this is more like an engineer's blueprint. But like those children painting that mural, we don't know the final outcome. We don't even know where the small details fit in. All we know is that there is a mystery, a mystery that will sum up all things in Christ. Not only is Christ the ultimate source of light, he has also ordered all things according to his will. The book of Genesis teaches us that history has a definite beginning and a purposeful ending. You don't know what God is ultimately doing with this chaotic world, but you can trust him. I don't know what God is ultimately doing with my chaotic life, but I need to trust him. I know that his wonderful plan included sending Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and mine so that we can be fitted together to grow up into a holy temple in the Lord. The Israelites needed to be taught that God formed and filled the earth in an orderly way. This is something that would be encouraging for them. They were living in chaotic times. And so are we. Your life may be chaotic now, but know that we serve a God that brings order to a chaotic world. Certainly he can bring light and order to your life. The very same power that flung the stars out in the unfathomable expanded universe while orchestrating life in the in irreducible complexity of the cells of your body will act on your behalf if you come to him. Of course, that's not my words. That's our Kent Hughes. He can reorder your broken life with the word. He will bring you out of chaos with the word. He can and will do it if He did it to the earth. He can do it for you. He can reform your heart, fill you with his Holy Spirit, and reorder your life. Just come to him today. In verses 14 and 16, Moses wrote, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Now, this seems very ordered, but this is not what is taught in major universities. In an article written by Charles Q. Choi, entitled Seven Theories on the Origin of Life, he states, and I'm quoting, perhaps life did not begin on Earth at all. This is one of his seven. I just thought this was the most interesting. But we was brought here from elsewhere in space, a notion known as Panspermia, according to NASA. For instance, rocks regularly blasted off of Mars by cosmic impacts, and a number of Martian meteorites have been found on Earth that some researchers have controversially suggested brought microbes over here, potentially making us all Martians originally. Other scientists have been suggested that life might have hitchhiked on comets from other stars systems. Now, when I was putting this together, I thought to myself, let me make light of this. right? Let me make you laugh. This is a great time to interject humor. But then as I thought this morning, how sad. How sad did you have to come up with such wild theories? You can't just believe scriptures. Okay, and if you're going to exercise that much faith in a theory like this, it begs the question, how did all the stars and the sun and the moons fit into the right place? Or maybe we can explore some of the other theories. Lightning hitting a molecule, ice melting, or underwater spewing elements key to life. All of these theories take a lot of faith. Many things are left up to chance. And as we thought through chance, R. Kent Hughes, I'm uh, quoting again, said it is best in his commentary on Genesis about the ordered Earth. The chances against such an ordered cosmic machine just happening are overwhelming. For example, if I take pennies number them one to ten, and put them in my pocket, then put my hand back in my pocket, my chances of pulling out number one, a number one penny, would be one in ten. And put them in my pocket, and put them back in my pocket, my chances of pulling out number one would be one in ten. If I place the number one penny back in my pocket, and mix all the pennies again, the chances of pulling out a penny number two would be in a hundred, one in a hundred. The chances of repeating the same procedure and coming up with penny number three would be one in a thousand. To do so with all of them, one through ten in that order would be one in ten billion. Probably need more faith than that for the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth to be in the right place at the right time and staying there. For God has created all things and he sustains all things by the power of his will. That is a fat chance that that could happen. That all of these things would stay in their place. The book of Genesis teaches that God formed and filled the earth according to his plans and purposes. No matter what we are facing this morning, we can trust that he is able to keep us from stumbling and to make us stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. God can do it because he is not only the ultimate source of light, And the one who brings order to chaos, but he creates all things for his own purpose. We see a refrain in the five days of creation. When I say five days, of course, that's all I read. Of course, we know six days, but I stopped at five. We see a refrain, and I tried to read it so that you can hear it. God saw it was good, verse 12. God saw it was good, verse 18. God saw it was good, verse 21. And God saw it was good. God created all things and saw that it was good. Now mankind came along and sinned, and that very act marred the very thing that God said was good. Yet there is still value and worth in what God created. So since our value is not contingent upon our sin, but on the fact that we are made in the image of God, then we should praise him for what he has made, and we shall glorify him forever. No matter how dim your situation is this morning, we must keep in mind the truth Moses reminded the newly freed Hebrews. God is the very source of light. God brings order to chaos, and God creates all things for his glory. God created the heavens and the earth to reflect his glory. He created the plants and animals to reflect his glory, and he created you and me to reflect his glory. Just as a side note, verse 14 says, Then God said, "Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and to, to to separate the day from the night and let them be the signs for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, and so it was. Verse 16, God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. Verse 16, little background. The name Sun, Ra, right, was a deity, the moon i didn't look it up that was a deity so moses doesn't say god made the sun and the moon he said they just met, he just called them great lights refusing to put the words in his lips they were great lights they were not deities they're something god created and the stars oh yeah Almost like a side note. He made the stars also. You were created to have a relationship with God Almighty. He has sent his son into the world that the world might be saved. There's nothing you need to do. No work on your part is required. God was in Christ reconciled the world so that the world through him may be saved. If you've never received Christ as your savior, you can do so today. For those who have called upon the name of the Lord, we know that they shall be saved. And maybe you are here this morning and you have embraced Christ as your Savior. But your life, life seems like a mess right now. You may be wondering how God can fix it. Remember, if anyone can shine light on a dark situation, the one who is the ultimate source of light can If anyone can change a situation, the one who brings order to chaos can. And the God who called his creation good has a purpose for all things. And all things created, God created, he saw it was good. So the Apostle Paul reminds us that God causes all things to work together for good. For those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Have you been convicted this morning that your activities and actions and thoughts don't line up with God's thoughts expressed in his holy word? Then repent and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to turn from sin and destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is what the children of Israel had to do and this is what We have to do. Do you find yourself on the wrong side of God? You are even opposing him in his actions and his words. Forgiveness is just a prayer away. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the eyes to see your error, the heart to change your ways, and the courage to stand with Christ. Oftentimes, we as preachers are not clear. You say, okay, yeah, 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 I'm ready to repent. I'm ready. Well, let's take something practical from the text. Verse 16 says, he made the stars also. Those are not deities. Those are not gods. We should not be looking for our direction in life from the stars. You say, what is he talking about? I'm talking about horoscopes. I'm talking about the sign in which you were, quote unquote, born under. We should not be ever, as Christians, leaving a conversation with, hey, what sign are you? The question is, what do we say when someone says to us, hey, what sign are you? I used to be silly and say, well, not silly, but I used to say, the blood. What? But then people thought I was mentally ill, so I stopped saying stuff like that. But we have to to come together. We have to think of something. That's a perfect opportunity to change a conversation into the gospel. We can get there from the stars. For he created it for a purpose, to give light, not to give praise, not to receive praise. We don't praise the sun, the moon, and the stars. We praise the God of creation. Don't look at the stars to figure out your personality, the personality of your future spouse or your destiny in life. You have not been blessed because you are Sagittarius. You are not compassionate because you're Pisces. You are not strong and determined because you're a Leo. No, stop ascribing glory to the stars and give glory to God. Those stars don't determine who you are. They are created by the same God who created you. God has formed you in your mother's womb and his purpose for his people is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Let us recommit our souls to Christ and ask him to line up our thoughts with his and give us the power by the Holy Spirit to reject the lies and embrace the truth found in the book of the beginning. Let's pray. O oh, forgetful soul, awake from your wandering dream. Turn from chasing vanities. Look inward, forward, and upward. View myself. View—we need to view ourselves—in light of God's holy word. O oh God, you injured, neglected, provoked benefactor. When we think of your greatness and your goodness, we are ashamed at our insensibilities. We blush to lift our face for we have foolishly erred. We confess that you have not been in our thoughts, that the knowledge of you as the end of our being has not been strangely overlooked, that we have not seriously considered our heart need. Lord, break the fatal enchantment that binds our evil affections and bring us to a happy mind that rests in you. Oh. What is the alternative, Lord, if we're not resting in you? And may our happiness be entwined in doing your will and not in our own efforts. Let your spirit teach us the vital lessons of Christ, for we are slow to learn. Make us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.